want you to give God a praise in this place today. Hallelujah. If he's been good to you, I said if he's been good to you, if he has been good to you, come on somebody. I know you may have had a rough week, but you're still here, aren't you? You're still breathing. If he's been good to you, you should give him a praise. Why would you hold back something that belongs to him? Why don't you give him what is his? Hallelujah. You are awesome. Demonstrate your power while you are among us, oh God. We ask for a demonstration of your power today, God. Hallelujah. While you remain standing real quick, turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. If you can open the Bible app, it's, it's in the Bible app as well, the notes. Mark chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. I'm reading out of the NLT today, and then we'll jump to Matthew 17, 20. It says, then Jesus told them a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Verse 5, and because of their what? Unbelief. He couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was, what does it say? Amazed at their unbelief. Matthew 17, 20 says, you don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth. If you had even as small as a mustard seed, and by the way, Jesus is talking to his disciples at this moment. He's talking to a bunch of people who've already been following him, who, who have bought into his vision, who are bought into what he's, the juice that he's trying to get them to drink. He, they bought in. He's telling them, you don't have enough faith. I tell you that the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Now, Father God, we pray, we thank you for all the things that have happened up to this moment and the things that are about to happen from this moment forward. Worship is amazing. Tithing and giving are a part of worship. We thank you for those opportunities. But nothing is more important when we gather together on Sundays in corporate worship and corporate fellowship than the reading of your word. For it is your word that changes lives. It is your word that surpasses time. It is your word that will last forever, God. And we thank you that your word will be, as Hebrews declared, sharp as a double-edged sword, piercing the innermost parts of us, rightly dividing the word of truth in us today. And God's people said, amen. So we give the Lord one more praise, a, a raucous praise in the house today. Amen. Amen. You may be seated today. We could get the house lights all the way up. I want to be able to see them and them see me and us see each other today. Today, we're, we're moving into a, a three-part series. You can see that on the Bible app, the notes there. We're journeying uh, through the rest of this month. Um, we've, we've already started our spiritual quarter. Now, for those that have been fellowshipping with us from the beginning of the year, from, from the time of January, if this was your church home, you know that, that we launched a, a pretty audacious challenge and a plan this year to, to do our best as the leadership of this church to get us all healthy, a well-rounded Christian, a, a well-rounded believer. And we started out talking about physical health. We, we talked about emotional health. And this quarter, over the next 90 days, we're, we're talking about spiritual health. Somebody say spiritual health. 
We're talking about spiritual health. How do we become spiritually healthy? What does that look like? How do we flesh that out? How do we, how do we become a spiritually healthy Christian? And I believe today we're launching a new attack that, that God has been, over the last few weeks, he's been regrouping you. You've, he's, been, he's had you regathering your forces, kind of mounting you for a new attack. And we're going to launch through the, through the remaining part of this month into this quarter from, from the defense to the offense. Come on, somebody. Who am I talking to today? I, I mean, you're going to move from the defense to the offense. Instead of always wondering what the devil's doing and how you're going to uh, counteract what he's doing and playing defense, I believe God is moving some of you to the offense where the ball is going to be in your court. Look at your neighbor and say, the ball's in my court. Where, where you are in control of your destiny instead of the devil doing stuff and then you having to counteract it. I mean, who is in here today that says, I'm ready to go from defense to offense. I'm ready to call the shots. I'm ready to get the ball in my court. I'm ready to determine what my destiny destiny is. What is the spiritual shape and atmosphere of my home and of my marriage? Who am I talking to today? Can I get a big amen? I preach better when you say amen. All right. Some of you will get it. Thank you. So as we move through this three-week challenge, and for all the men in the house, every man in the house today should have received a letter from me this week. If you didn't, you need to find Miss Gretchen right there. Wave your hand in the air like you just don't care because we want to make sure we have your address. I, spent, uh, spent, I, I sent out a unique challenge to all the men of the house Hopefully you got it. We're going to be talking about that challenge today. And I asked the men of the church, the men of the house, to begin praying with me already about today and over the next coming weeks what God wants to do. Today we're talking about taking God out of our boxes. We have boxes all around here. We'll get to those in just a moment. Look at your neighbors and say, he's going to read your box. Because mail is put in a box, isn't it? So I'm not just going to read your mail today. I'm going to read your box. And so we're going to uncover what is in our boxes in our life. Some of you are probably petrified and terrified because you've got stuff you've been cramming in that box for years. And you're saying, Pastor Matt, you don't want to open that box. Not only will a clown jump out, but all kinds of stuff. But listen, we're going to take God out of our boxes today. And in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about uh, believing God for the amazing. I mean, what would it look like if we as a church together, what would our marriages look like? What would our homes, our governments, our schools, our nation, our county, our city, if we truly as a church of Jesus Christ began to put our faith in the hands of God and believe God for the amazing? Amen. Believe God for the impossible, not the small stuff that we can do on our own, but the big dreams that we know are audacious and may sound crazy to someone else. But this year, we're going to start believing God for the amazing. And then we're going to finish it the last Sunday of this month, uh, just, just taking the limits off of our faith, having a limitless kind of faith, a dangerous faith. Amen. Not a safe faith but a dangerous faith without going too, too far ahead this, this today in the coming weeks. But can I just tell you, church, real quick, that Jesus didn't die so you could have a safe faith. 
He died for a dangerous faith. My goodness, Jesus said, you're a sheep being led to the slaughter. If you gave your life to Jesus thinking it would be roses, you're wrong. There are going to be days where you're led before the slaughter. You, you know what I'm talking about? There's days where you've got to pick up your cross. There's a dangerous faith that God is calling us to. When I stand before the Lord, whether that's today or tomorrow or 10 years or whenever that is that I die and I leave this planet, I want to know that I live my life with a dangerous faith, that I did something with my faith, that I didn't just come to church and congratulate myself because I could check that box that I worshiped God on a Sunday, that my kids were there, that I wore my Sunday best, but that Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, I did something with my faith. Come on, Church of Jesus Christ, give God a praise in this house. Dangerous faith. So that's week three. That's kind of what we're going to be talking about. I've talked too much about it. We've got to move on. Jesus says some very interesting things here in Mark chapter 6 and in Matthew 17. He, he's talking, well, in Matthew 17, he's, he's talking to his disciples when he's telling them that you have little faith. He, think about this. These are the disciples, these 12 men that are following Jesus, watching him do miracles. This is a story where they try to cast out the demons uh, and they're, they're unable to cast them out. And Jesus comes to them and he does what they couldn't do. And he tells them that they have little faith. And, and in Mark, excuse me, yes, in Mark chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, in his own town of Nazareth, Jesus is there. And it says that because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Verse 6, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Now, of all the things that I would like Jesus to be amazed about me, it is not my unbelief. Who am I talking to today? Are you with me, church? I want Jesus to be amazed at some of the things that I do, but one of them is not to be amazed at my lack of belief, my lack of faith, my unbelief. And yet Jesus says in his hometown that he was amazed at their unbelief. That, that we're talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the author of creation. Jesus was, was the whole book of the Bible. Is, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Jesus is, is, is in Genesis. He's in Revelation. He's in it. We find him across Scripture. It's all about him. It's always been about him. Jesus, it wasn't as if he walked into a town. It wasn't, let me say it like this. How many have ever seen Superman movies? Even the old, like, 70s Superman. Remember Christopher Reeves, 70s Superman? I wish I had hair like Superman. You can fly faster than a speeding bullet. It stays the same. That would be awesome. Superman, but Superman had kryptonite, right? And he was, he was, I mean, he could, he could blow, you know, out of his mouth and, and the wind, he could put out a fire. He could blow somebody down with his breath. He could punch a wall, leap a building. He could run faster than a speeding train, a bullet. He was a strong guy, but all of a sudden you put him around kryptonite and he became an ordinary man. I say that because Nazareth, this town, wasn't like it was Jesus' kryptonite. It wasn't like as soon as Jesus stepped into Nazareth, he was like, oh, I can't do any miracles around here. Nazareth, being being in Nazareth is my kryptonite. No, no, listen. The reason Jesus couldn't do miracles among them was because of their lack of faith, their unbelief. I believe that 
We are living in the finest hours the church of Jesus Christ has ever seen. My goodness, church, the persecution that the church is under across the world, yet not just in America, but all across this planet, his church is thriving. There are pockets of believers who are standing up for Jesus Christ under persecution like the world has never seen, I believe even in the New Testament, and we're seeing Christians and believers. Now listen to me, the American church needs a wake-up call. I believe God is sounding the alarm. Now hear my heart, church, and where I'm going with this. I'm not a doomsday preacher. I'm not saying we're living in the last times. That is not for me to decide, and that is not for you to decide. That is up to God and up to Scripture. Are you with me today? I'm telling you, watch out for TV evangelists, and I'm telling you, I hope this is on the podcast, watch out for people who think they know what God is doing because they don't. God love them. I'm here. I'm not a prophet of God. I'm a man of God. But, but God will determine when the last days are. And I promise you, when that time really comes, we, we, you will really know when the last days are upon us. I believe that. Now, having said all of that, do I believe that there are signs that are happening and that we are seeing that are definitely defining times in which we are living? Absolutely. Now, if you're here today and say, Pastor Matt, boy, from the things that I read in the news and the things that I watch and what I read in Scripture, I would say that we're, we're, we are in the end times. Okay? If you believe that, then, then not only do you know what the Scripture says about the end times, you know what will happen in the end times. Listen to me, American church, the church of America. Listen to your pastor. If we were to collectively agree today, let's say for argument's sake, all things being equal, we took a poll, 100% of us said we believe that we're living in what the Bible and Revelation, what talks about in the book of Matthew, what Isaiah wrote about, what we read about in Ezekiel, what we read about in Daniel. If you're reading, you're reading all of those things, not just in Revelation. When you're reading about the end times, if you're reading about that, what it talks about in 1 Corinthians, and when we, we read about all of these things happening in the end times, in the book of Acts chapter 2, My goodness, not just are there terrible things that will come upon the world, but Jesus says, in the last days, I am going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Come on, somebody. See, we focus too much on the bad things. As Christians and as the American church, we're always looking for our, to hang our hat on something, aren't we? When when Hollywood comes out with a Christian movie, we say, oh, this is a good Christian movie. Oh, it's about time somebody made a good Christian movie. And the the American churches, we're looking to hang our hat on something that we can define as us. But Jesus said the defining mark of the church of the last days is not the signs and the terrible things that are going to happen to the world. And we can point to them and say, see, I told you so. Jesus said, it will be that I pour out my spirit on everybody. Come on, give God a praise in here. He says that is the mark of the last days is that my spirit will be poured out. Yeah, there will be terrible times. Yeah, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah, the stock market might crash. Yeah, America might fall. Yes, bad things may be happening. But in spite of that, in the midst of that, the church will rise from the ashes and my spirit will be poured out and people's lives will be changed and transformed. Church, we've got to take God out of our boxes. Come on, somebody. 
We've got to take God out of our boxes. We're saying, God, I don't know if you can do this in the last days. I don't know if you can really save my dad, if you can really save my mom. Can you really save my son? I read about it, but God, I believe, but I unbelieve. And we put God in this box of unbelief, and we begin to doubt God. I'm trying, Rosemary. (laughs) I hope my voice makes it through. I can't complete today without some help. Before you raise your hand, there's two prerequisites, maybe three. You don't mind being on stage in front of everybody. I'm not going to ask you to talk, but you will have to come up here. You can spell, okay, (laughs) because I'm going to have you write, because I'm a terrible... I'm a terrible writer. Listen, if I were writing some things today, we would need an interpretation from the Holy Spirit to read them. That's why, men, the letter you received from me was typed. How many would raise their hand and be honest in front of your confession is good for the soul? How many of us would define parts of our faith and parts of our life at times? It may be current. It may be in the past. Certainly, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But somewhere in the past, maybe currently, this week, relatively recently, you've put God in a box of cynicism. Anybody? Amanda, would you come up here and help me? <laughs> You're the first person I saw. Give Amanda a big hand. Now, (laughs) she's going to hate me later. But anyway, all I want you to do is real big right here. Just just write the word cynical. The, The box of cynicism. We all know what cynical means, right? If you don't, let me tell you what cynical means. Let me let me give you Webster's definition of it. And then I'll interpret my definition. It, It means distrust. Is it hard to write? You can write. No, you can write cynical. It, it's, a, it's the same thing. Distrustful of human nature, doubting or contemptuous of human nature, or the motives, the goodness, or sincerity of others, being sarcastic, mocking, scornful, or sneering. The box of cynicism, the, the box of being cynical. I think all of us in our walk at some point, we've put God in this box. Give her a big hand. Thank you. The box of cynicism, of being cynical. We've all done that. I know it's hard to see over there because I'm standing in the way and it's opening that way, but trust me, that's what it says. The box of cynicism. We've all done this, right? We've all come to church. We've all worshipped, we've all prayed, we've all believed that God can do the impossible, that can do anything that we ask, but yet, can he really? Can he really do those things that we're asking him to do? Can he really do those things that we're believing him for? Can he really do all that we expect of him to do? The box of cynicism, the box that we, we put God in when we come to church and we worship and our hands are raised and we're singing these songs, the pastor's up here, trying to be a cheerleader, trying to motivate you, trying to get you into it. And and on the whole while, in the back of your mind, that voice is saying, whatever. You know what, God, I'm 
I'm, I'm just tired. I'm tired of trying to believe for that. I'm tired of trying to fight for that. I'm tired of trying to get through that. I'm tired, tired of trying to motivate myself to faith and motivate myself another day to believe that this really big God of the universe really loves me and, and really believe that your scripture is real. Anybody in here today that is identifying with this? Don't be shy. It's okay. You know what? I put God in this box quite a bit. Not the pastor. Yes, the pastor does. There are things that I'm believing God for for this church, and I'm saying, God, where are you? He's in the box, and I knocked him over. God, where are you? Hello, McFly, anybody home? Listen, God, where are you? I'm believing for a financial breakthrough for this church. Where are you? God, people want me to pray over them and expect them to be healed, and I expect them to be healed. Where are you? God, I, I need circumstances, and, and this is not me. Now I'm, I'm playing third person. God, I, I want things to change at work. Change my coworkers. I love my coworkers, by the way. Change my coworkers. Maybe that's what you're saying. God, change my marriage. Why isn't my marriage getting better? Why isn't it changing? I'm praying, and I'm believing, and, you know, I'm just tired of boxes cynicism oh yes i believe god can do anything it's a new worship song i believe god can do anything anything and in the back of your mind you're saying if he could have he would have already anybody here you don't mind raising your hand and said i have said that before thank you for being honest boxes cynicism what about the box of assumption. We've assumed things of God. We've just assumed things about God that were not even true or were not even relevant or not even important. We've just assumed things about God. We just assumed that he would do what we're asking him to do. Has anybody ever done that before? Angel, come on up here. Mira, tenepecada. Give Angel a big hand as he comes up here. Come on down. <laughs> All right. I want you to write. Yes. That was, you know, were, were you write in Spanish? Assume? He's like, no. All right. Hey, look. Somewhere up here. Write. <laughs> write assume. Gloria a Dios and Espíritu Santos. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you did. <laughs> All right, let me turn over so you can see it. And for our Spanish-speaking friends, there it is. With a question mark. I guess that's how you're right. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Assume the, the box of assumption. We assume things about people, about God, about places and things, and is is we just assume it. We're just constantly assuming is God's not going to do it. He's just not going to do it. I've already assumed that. I made my assumption about God up. I've already assumed that He's not He's not going to do it. It means to suppose something, to accept that something is true without checking or confirming it. We just assumed it. You ever taken someone's word at their word and you found out later that, man, I wish I wouldn't have believed them? 
You ever just walk by or you saw something on the news and you just believed that it was true just because the news said it? Anybody? Surely no one's ever done that. Someone asked you, where did you see it? On Google, on the Internet. Of course it's true. Wikipedia. By the way, for all the Wikipedia searchers and people in the house, do you, did you know that Wikipedia is stuff that we make up? That we can add stuff to Wikipedia. So be careful where you're getting your facts. Man, we just assume things. Listen, let me tell you it again. To suppose something, to accept something that is true without checking or confirming it. The devil whispers in our mind, in our ear. We begin to believe things about God. We begin to assume our perceptions about God eventually are true. We never check it with Scripture. We never fact check it with God's Word. We just assume that it's always going to be that way. It's always been this way, and it's always going to be. We just assume that life from now on, we're going to settle into this new reality that we're in and that things are never going to change. But I don't guess anybody who's in here has ever done that before. We're going to just, this is my new reality of life. I just assume this is how it's been. This is how it's always going to be, and that's it. Because of time's sake, i got to jump forward and just because I don't want to miss out on this. As we talk about putting God in boxes, what we do is we do this in life with people, with God, with our marriage, with our emotions. We compartmentalize God. We have different places for God, different boxes for God. A box for the marriage, a box for the kids, a box for retirement, a box for savings, a box for money. A box for church, whatever other boxes you have that I don't want you to say out loud right now. When we need God, we go to that box for that thing. I'm not saying you wake up in the middle of the night or you go throughout your day and it's like, oh, I'm going into this box to get God out of this box that I put him in here for that. And then I'm going to pull him out for that thing because I've compartmentalized God into sections of my life. Sure, he's Lord over everything, but only Lord over everything in that one area. I've assumed the box of cynicism, the box of money, the box of life, the box of marriage, the box of raising kids, the box of retirement. Again, whatever you want it to be. I've compartmentalized God. I've, I've put him in the, his special place, and I've crammed him, and I've said, God, this is where you belong. This is where you live. You're saying, Pastor Matt, how can I truly take the God of the universe and put him in a box? Well, obviously, literally, we're not taking God. Everybody's with me, right? God is really not in there. By the way, just in case y'all are wondering, he's really not in there. But I want to show you something in the Old Testament that when I really begin to pray and study about these next three weeks, something that the Holy Spirit showed me. Ironically enough, as we're take, talking about taking God out of a box, if we had enough time, I'd walk you through the book of Exodus, I'd walk you through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, through all first five books of the Bible. That would be a long sermon, and I'm not going to. But if we had enough time to study that in its length and its entirety, I would tell you and I would show you and kind of just briefly just tell you that in the Old Testament, when Moses met with God, the Bible says in, when they were in the desert that Moses had a tent separate from the, from the camp of the Israelites. And Moses would go out to this tent where the presence of the Lord would be. And he would meet with God there. God would speak to him and he would speak and answer God. And they would 
have fellowship and relationship, and they would talk, and Moses would receive his instructions, right? And then you'd go to the children of Israel, and they would live, and so on. Eventually, we come to King David. David heard from God to make plans to build a temple. It was his son Solomon that built the temple, but David was Solomon's dad. David received the plans of the architect, if you will. David had the plans. He had them drawn up. David was going to die. He hands the plans to his son Solomon. He says, listen, you've got to build this house for the Lord. There's got to be a permanent place where God's presence can dwell. Inside of this temple that Solomon built, by the way, the Bible says at the end of it when it was being built and when it was finished that Solomon had to turn people away from bringing gifts. Like there was so many, so much gold and so, so many fine things to put in there. He had to tell them to stop, turn away. We can't take any more. That is a blessing of a line that I want to get in. Anybody with me? That would be pretty cool. I'm just saying. If God does say he will cause his blessings to overtake you. Now listen to me, church. Follow with me. Stay with me. Make sure your neighbor's awake. Give them a nudge. Right foot of fellowship. Whatever you got to do, because I don't want you to miss this. In the Old Testament, in the temple, within the temple, as you made your way from the outer courts where, where the sacrifice was made, where they, the priests would wash their hands and the, the blood off their hands from the sacrifice, when they would walk past into the, into the inner courts and into the holy place, and then right beyond that was what was called the most holy place, or the holy of holies, and it was a veil. And only once a year could the priest actually enter in behind this big curtain, this big veil, where there was some incense burning. And uh, I'm not going to go into all the meanings of everything that was in there, but there was some, there was some incense burning and, and, and some other articles of uh, furniture in there. But inside there, right in the middle of the room, in the back of that, that place, was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you've seen uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, how many see Raiders of the Lost Ark? If you're under... 35 in here, maybe you haven't, but Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? And a Harrison Ford, he goes looking for the Lost Ark, and you, but in all seriousness, this, the, the, the Ark is in there. And what does the Ark represent? God's presence, right? That's where God's presence was. It was so important. The Bible says that when, when, he, when, he, told Sol, when he told David and Solomon built it, the plan said that, that they had to have poles that went through the sides of it. No man could touch it because nobody was holy enough to touch that box. Wait a minute. We're, take, we're talking about taking God out of a box, and yet in the Old Testament, God was in a box. His presence was in this, was the Ark of the Covenant. It represented God's presence. That's where the Holy of Holies, and I began to think about it. I said, well, wait a minute, God. Your word that you gave me for the people is to tell them to take you out of a box. Yet in the Old Testament way of meeting with you, you represented your presence by a box. And then as we find our way through the minor prophets and as we walk from First and Second Chronicles, where we read about the life of David, and we walk through the Book of Kings, and you keep going, and you you find your way to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Malachi, I'm just joking. Just seeing who's paying attention. As you read Malachi, as you read Malachi, and you go through the Book of Job. Okay, as you go through there, that's Job. Okay, as you go through Job and Malachi, seriously, and you find your way to the New Testament. We have this huge intersection. History, time, everything converges in one moment. God decided to remove himself from a box 
and had a moving day. See, when we move, we get boxes and we put stuff in them, don't we? We, when we label it fragile, fragile, we label it dishes. And I'm like, somebody break that box. I don't want all that stuff coming with us. And we label it fragile. You know, the important stuff, men like our knives and guns and stuff like that. Fragile. We, we label these boxes, stuff, kids room, Matt's room, Holly's room, Roxy's room, Harrison's room. We label, when we're moving, we label these boxes so that we know what's important to unpack, the things that we want to unpack and the things that we want to stuff in storage. Isn't it ironic, church, that God was in a box, then came Jesus Christ, and God says, no longer will I confine myself behind a curtain in a box where not just where people can't get to me anymore, but I'm going to have a moving day. And heaven had a moving day. God packed up Jesus. He boxed him up, sent him to the earth where Mary gave birth to the Son of God. And God had a moving day. And God said, no longer am I in a box that no one can touch. He said, I have put on flesh and blood. And I am unpacking myself. And God sent his son, Jesus, who became flesh. And God said, now I'm approachable. Now, Noah, will you come help me? Now you can get to me. Now you can touch me. Megan's going to help you. All right. They're going to they're gonna do something here for our illustration. And so here's what happens. What did Jesus do? What did God do with that box? He turned it into a cross, didn't he? And all the things that we said, and all the things that we said about God, the box of assumptions, you can lay it down right there. You don't have to hold it the whole time. <laughs> all the boxes of assumptions, God says, I'm going to take your box, the box that you've been putting me in, the box that you've been shoving me in, the box of unbelief, the box of doubt, the box of fear, the box of failure, the box of never getting by, the box of never being good enough, all the boxes you've been cramming in, God into, the doubt, the fear, the unbelief, uh, being afraid of what the future holds, being afraid wondering if God's going to heal you, if he's going to touch you. What does he do with our boxes? He turns them into something amazing, church. God sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus began to unfold all that stuff, and he took that stuff, and he put it on a cross. So you and I don't have to worry anymore if we're doing life right or not. So you know what you don't have to do today when you leave here? The stuff that you're worrying about and you brought all these boxes to church, the box of fear, the box of doubt, the box of my marriage is going to make it, the box of my kids really going to serve God, the box am I going to get out of debt. You don't have to do with those boxes anymore. Your job is to come to the altar and let him turn it into a cross. Say, God, here's my box. I lay it down at your feet. The box of unbelief, you can have it because I'm going to start believing. The box of fear, look, God, you can have my box of fear. The box of doubt, God, you can have my box of doubt. Are you with me today, church? I want you to stand your feet all across this place. 
I want you right now to make a bold move. Come down to the front. Come down to the front. You want to pray. You want God to deal with your life. Come on, many are coming. Many are coming. Come quickly. If God has been speaking to you, if God is calling you today, we're going to sing and we're going to worship. Listen, don't come because everybody's coming. Come because you really want God to take the box from you. You're tired of carrying life around. You're tired of carrying that stuff around. You're tired of carrying all of that stuff. And you say, God, I'm laying this box at your feet. Call it out. Say, God, here's my box of doubt. Here's my box of unbelief. Here's my box of fear. Sing it with us. I look upon your countenance. I want everyone in the house to repeat this prayer after me. Today, let me say it like you mean it. Today, I declare the stuff I brought with me, I leave here. From this day forward, I'll never touch that box again. I'll never open that box again. I'll never put anything in that box again. Jesus has taken my box from me. I am set free. I am delivered. I am healed. I am born again in the name of Jesus. Amen. Give God a praise in this place. Hallelujah. Sing it with us. You are awesome. You are awesome in 